I'm excited you chose to be here today because I believe this is a very, very important time for us as a church. And so it's very, very important. Do we have the uh, slide outlines? There we go. I'll tell you when to change those guys. Today we're going to focus on God does the impossible. Say, well, I know that. But I want to look at it historically and how it applies to us today as individuals. Then I have a challenge for you today, one I haven't given you in years and years and years. So today, take your Bible and go to Zechariah. Zechariah was a very important prophet of God. It was during the time that the Israelites were totally defeated, oppressed people. They were in captivity. The northern kingdom of Israel had been in captivity for 150, 200 years. Judea had been in captivity for several decades. Can you imagine? Here we are, the chosen people of God, the one that did such mighty work in the promised land. And yet today, what we find is they were defeated. There was only a small remnant group that really had that faith and hope that God was still going to do his great work in their midst. I believe today in the life of the church, we need a strong remnant that says, let's move forward. Let's trust God. Let's do something that only God can do for nothing is impossible with God. It's very, very important for us to come to the place that we understand that God wants to move in his churches today. Listen to me carefully. We as Southern Baptists need to awaken to the call of God. We need to understand that God wants to move through our churches. And to do that, we need to hear the voice of God. We need to see his vision for us as a church and move boldly forward in faith. It is a sad spirit in my heart when they say unto us that over 80% of all, 85% of all Southern Baptist churches have plateaued or they're declining. I believe one of the things that God would say to us is that the vision must continue. The vision continues. And we'll see this as we come to the children of Israel here when they receive a very special word from Zechariah. We're going to pick it up in the fourth chapter. He's giving the fifth vision that God had given unto him. And I think it's significant that we hear afresh what he's saying. Then the angel who was speaking with me testified or returned and aroused me as a man who was awakened from sleep. And he said unto me, what do you see? And I said, I see and behold a lampstand all of gold with its bowl on the top of it and its seven lamps on it with seven sprouts belonging to each of the lamps, which are on the top of it. Also two olive trees by it, one on the right side of the bowl and the other on the left. Then I answered and said unto the angel who was speaking with me, saying, What are these, my Lord? So the angel who was speaking with me answered and said to me, Do you not know what these are? And I said, No, my Lord. Then he answered and said to me, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. What are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you will become a plain, and he will bring forth the top stone with shouts of grace, grace to it. Also the word of the Lord came to me, saying, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house, and his hands will finish it. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. For who has despised the day of small things? 
But these seven will be glad when they see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. These are the eyes of the Lord, which range to and fro throughout the earth. Then I answered and I said unto him, What are these two olive trees on the right of the lampstand and on the left? And I answered the second time and said unto him, What are the two olive branches which are on beside the two golden pipes, which empty the golden oil from themselves? So he answered and was saying unto me, Do you not know what these are? And I said, No, my Lord. Then he said, These are the two anointed ones who are standing by the Lord of the whole earth. Now here's a very interesting vision that comes from uh, the, the mind of God to Zechariah as he brings encouragement and hope to the children of Israel. Now it was a day in which we discover there was a great need for that hope because of such dis- the circumstances that I described previously to you. It's very important for God's people always to have a hold of the vision that God brings into their midst. The Israelites had literally forgotten the vision that God had brought them through the Red Sea into the Promised Land. How do we know that? Because of disobedience. They became concerned about other things rather than the will of God and obeying the will of God. Listen, a church must always be about doing the will of God according to the things that God has laid before it and not man itself. Why is it sometimes that churches are struggling? I have no reservation saying this to you. Listen carefully. This is observing many, many churches in our region as I have the chance to visit with leadership, lay leadership and pastors. There are many, many people that are more interested in what they desire than what God's will is. That sometimes can be at odds with each other. And if God's will does not reign, then we will never see the power of God moving in our midst. Now, it's very, very important as we think about what God was doing that we understand that this was a great, gigantic work that God had called them to. It was a work that a few people came out of Babylon. They came to the city of Jerusalem. Their great temple had been destroyed. God now had said unto them, you are to build a temple again, a smaller temple, one that will glorify me in all things. And so they began that work. I think it reminds us that God's will is always best. You'll have to forgive me. For three weeks, I had no allergies. And here they've come back. I rebuke you, Satan. Get thee behind me. Amen. Think about all the times that people decide they'll do something, but it's not what God has asked them to do. You say, well, how do we know what God? Well, God reveals himself to us through prayer, through study of the word and etc. Remember... (laughs) Remember when the children of Israel looked around and they said, God, we're not like everybody else. We don't have a king. God said, you don't need a king. But they said, how can you be a nation without a king? And they said, but God said unto them, you don't need a king. But God allowed them to have their way. And so we have Saul. And Saul came and for the beginning, it seemed great. But as you know, the history of Saul, so it became a desperate time in the life of Israel. You know the time that God was going to anoint one to follow after Saul to be the king? It was a time in which we see as the prophet goes and as he is to select the anointed one, he does not take the eldest, he does not take the strongest, he does not take perhaps the most gifted, 
But he takes the chosen one of God, the youngest of the household, David, anoints him with oil. Let me tell you something. The household was surprised. They had not even brought David in from the fields. It's very, very important that you understand the significance that God was again saying, I take the insignificant, I take the weak, I take those who are humble before me to do my will. God uses these ordinary people, ordinary things in life to do his will. Why is that? Because God wants submission unto his lordship to do his will in our lives. And so it's very, very important that we understand it's not our physical, mental, emotional strength that God's looking for. It's our surrenderedness. And when we surrender to the lordship of Christ, we put ourselves in a position of doing great things. Now, there was a lampstand that he saw. There's all kinds of interpretation, but let me just simply summarize it. It gave a great light. It was supplied by resources from God himself. Golden lampstand, large, seven uh, sprouts, seven ways the wicks were laid, seven ways it could have even been other bowls there, seven ways. In other words, it gave humongous light. And what we discover is that God has his perfect way of doing things that will bring his direction to each of us. We need to seek that. We need to follow that into our own lives. Now, one of the things that often happens in life is that many, many times we need a whole lot more information that we seem to have. What was interesting is Zachariah seeing this vision and the angel said to him, do you not know what this means? You know, it was like he was expecting Zachariah to know. Zechariah says, I do not know. One of the things, if you really want God to do a work in your life, be sure you're honest with yourself. God knows your heart. Don't try to pull the wool over other people's eyes and God's eyes, because God knows your heart. And Zechariah simply says, look, I don't know what this is about. And so the angel begins to tell him and unfold the truth of what God is doing there. You know, many times it's the same way with God. Life is a mystery. The Christian life is a mystery. So many things happen in our life which we don't really, really understand. There's all kinds of life circumstances that when we look at it in the flesh, we're thinking, God, what's up? We don't understand this. We don't understand what's happening with this individual. We don't understand what's happening with health. We don't understand what's happening with the church. We don't have that divine understanding. It's a mystery. Think about God's answer to sin. How do you really understand Christ shedding blood on a cross, dying for you and for me, being buried, being raised, and God says that's adequate. It's sufficient. How do we totally understand that my sin is erased by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ? You know, it's not one of those things that we totally can understand at all. By faith, I accept Christ died for me. I receive that gift into my life. By faith, I trust him. Then Zechariah goes on, he says, well, what are these two olive trees? In verses 11 and 14 there, he begins to unveil those things to him. Ask him twice. Let me tell you something, folks. Often, God's not going to tell you the answer the first time you go to him. You know, I wonder why sometimes. You know, I have argued with the Lord. And do you ever argue with the Lord? Now, by argue... I know I'm not going to win, okay? But I try to get my position across. You say, what do you mean, Pastor, you argue? I'm saying, Lord, I don't really understand this. And I don't really see the value of delay. 
But you know what God often reminds me of? I can have patience. And you know what? I'm not in charge. Even if you're the pastor of the church. Amen? Amen. I mean, God's in charge. And God's saying, wait. And I think there's something unique as Zechariah asked him again about these two olive trees. And I want to encourage you that as you're asking God for answers to those unknown unknown realities, those mysteries that are in life, I want you to remember, don't give up. Keep seeking the Lord to reveal unto you. Go to his word. Seek him in the quietness of your closet. Pray unto him. God will reveal himself unto us in his timetable, in his wisdom. And so he begins to unfold this, and he unfolds the vision that there is the civil leader, Zerubbabel, that will come, and he shall be the one that lays that final stone. It talked about the top stone. It talked about the one that was the cap that was put upon the final finished product of the temple itself. That which was impossible with man, as he laid the stone, said it is possible with God. (laughs) I'm not contagious. (laughs) I'm going to rejoice in heaven. No allergies in heaven. Amen. One of the things that God is saying to us is that we need to move forward as the church. And to do that, he's going to use people like us, you and me. Do you really have confidence that God wants to use you? Say, Brother Bob, if you knew how bad I was. Folks, it doesn't matter how bad you have been. It matters whether you're trusting God to move you forward as a believer. What's important is that you have an confidence that God's going to use you. You see, every one of you in this room today, if in your mindset you think, well, I'm not that important, I'm not that significant in this church or the kingdom, you have already abated what God's wanting to do because he's saying, I bring everyone through giftedness into my church. Now, uh, here's a commercial. Listen closely. You're used to commercials interrupting things, right? Here's a commercial. Next Wednesday night, we start place class again. Place is a training period by which you can discover your personality traits, your abilities, your life experiences, uh, all kinds of things, your spiritual giftedness, those kinds of things. If you go through place, I guarantee you, you will know more about how God has gifted you than you've ever known in your life. And it's a a very valuable tool that's available. 6.30, Wednesday night, we start the class again. Okay, now the thing I'm saying to you this morning is God wants to do things, but it's going to be through people like you and me to do his great work. Now, we must continue the vision. What is the vision? God's given us a vision in this church. He's given us a vision through the years. He's given the vision to take this land here we're on, given us a vision, all kinds of things. But folks, the vision continues. I told you about the vision that God had laid on my heart about taking the hospital and making it a, a kingdom ministry here in our own community. They've said, sorry. Due to the real or imaginary liability, we don't think we can do that. Maybe the door is totally closed. If God closes that door or if man closes the door and it was God's will and we don't have it, we move on. But there's other vision that God has laid before us. And one of the things that God's laid heavy on many of us in leadership's heart and mind is that we need to take back sports for Christ. What do I mean by that? 
You know, when I came, became a pastor of this church, you could not have approved by the city council to be used of their parks and et cetera. You could not have those parks being used on Wednesday night and Sundays. Amen. You know why? Because those were church nights. And yet in the world's situations today, what you've discovered is that through sports, now kids have to make decisions. Am I going to be faithful to a team I'm on and play on Sunday morning or Sunday afternoon or whatever? Am I going to practice on Wednesday night? How I have to make those kind of choices. One of the things that we've seen is that sports is a great avenue, a great tool by which we can encounter people that are not interested in spiritual things, but we encounter them and we're able to share the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ with them. We've had many salvations through Upward in basketball. Over 250, close to 300 kids signed up for soccer. You know what we really need, folks? We need about 100 acres where we can build a larger sports complex. We've seen a vision of one, not a vision, a reality, one up in like Minnesota, I think it is. It's one of those places that a church began to use this tool in a mighty way. You say, but... It'll cost so much. Grass doesn't cost much. Do you realize that soccer and baseball are pretty inexpensive in some ways? So how are you going to mow all that? Get goats, do something, I don't know. Make it down to, put it back to bare earth. You know, it doesn't matter what. But I'm saying to you, the vision, we need to move forward in that kind of ministry where we could see kingdom work. We need a greater children's ministry and facilities where we could have more and more of the children that we could impact for their life. One of our sister churches have closed their weekday early education. And we have a bombardment of kids coming in from there. You know, I'm glad that we can take preschoolers and influence them for Christ. Amen? I mean, it's, a, it's an impressionable age. Impressionable. I wish somebody had told me as a preschooler I could have learned Spanish quickly if I was a preschooler learning. I tried in the seventh grade. I didn't like it, you know, because I had to study. But anyway, the thing of it is, is that we need to understand these. We need that cross-cultural ministry to continue. One of the things I'm saying to you, it's not just pastor's vision. We spent several meetings, four meetings, two and a half hours apiece as our leadership. Anybody who wanted to come to mission, we, as we plan for the new decade of missions, you know, we say we're not a mission minded church. There are so mission minded churches and people sitting in the pew. We need to be a mission active church. You know, I want you to know my goal for you is for every one of you in this room to be on a mission trip somewhere. I'm not, I'm not kidding. So brother Bob, I can't go overseas. You know, mission begins in your own backyard. You ever been involved in backyard Bible study? You ever been involved in summer camp? You ever been involved in summer day camp? You know, all kinds of things happen. But a goal is, and I will really encourage everyone to go on an international mission trip. Joe Looney, Joe, where are you? You in here? You may be in the first service. I saw him this morning. We were talking. And Joe just got back from Ethiopia. And he said, Brother Bob, you know the fact I thought I knew what it'd be like because I've been to the Philippines. I've been to other places. But he said, when I woke on the morning there that I, after I arrived, I couldn't believe what I saw. I couldn't believe. You see, folks, there is a world out there that you know nothing about. It will bring you home, one, appreciating America. Two, you're going to learn to be involved in keeping America based upon the Christian principles that we found in this nation on. And there's many other things that will happen. So I want you to understand, the vision continues cross-cultural. That team of people that met together... The whole team, individual tables, individual people said the church must be a cross-cultural church. Listen to me carefully. The church which remains only Anglo, Anglo will miss the will of God in their own community. You understand what I'm saying, folks? There are many, many people of other skin colors, 
cultural backgrounds and etc. that we need to incorporate together so that we can be the people of God. Now you say, but blah, blah, what does that mean? What it means is this. It may challenge you. It may make you uncomfortable. Yes, they say to us, the fastest growing unit is always homogeneous. Find people that look like you and think like you. But you know what? They did a survey of Air Heights, the Home Mission Board. And you know what they said? Among all of the Anglos in this church, we have about 27 different groups. Isn't that amazing? Some of you have urban cowboys. <laughs> Some of you are the city dwellers. I mean, they got all kinds of names for us, but we're not the same. Now, one of the things I'm saying to you this morning is the vision is there, the international vision. This church can truly make a lasting imprint, not only in broken air, but the world. The vision continues. Secondly, though, his spirit makes all the difference. This is where we really, really get down to the explanation of the vision that Zechariah had. He said, what? Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord God Almighty. Then he says, what are you, O mountain? My servant, the prince. Do you realize that civil servants are God's people? Civil servants are God's people. Now they need to be born again believers to be truly in the will of God. But they're born again. And he says, what is going on? And he says, I'm going to use the rubber belt to move the mountain. That which is impossible, I'll do. He'll make it like a plane. You see, only a small band of exiles were coming back to Jerusalem to build that temple. But God did it. It was more than you could imagine for them to do in the midst of people around them that were in opposition to them being there. Are you really understanding that God said you're his temple, Corinthians? That you're the temple of God and his spirit dwells in you? He's alive in you and he wants to move through you and use you mightily? You know, what's it saying as we look at this vision and the message that came to Zerubbabel? It said, I think, two things at least. God works through the weak and the insignificant. Now you say, well, Brother Bob, I'm not weak and I'm not insignificant. We're talking about in God's perspective, amen? You may be a muscle champ. You may be the president of some large corporation. But in God's perspective of things, all of us are weak and insignificant in the whole scope of things. I stand and wonder sometimes, how can I, an individual, one among seven billion people that inhabit the earth, how could I make a difference? And God simply reminds me, how can Bob Green make a difference? How can you make a difference? Well, let's see. God knew you before the foundation of the earth. God created you. God redeemed you. He put his Holy Spirit in you. And he said, it's not by your power, by your strength, but it's by my spirit, says the Lord God. And therefore, I think it can be done even by one. And so just be mindful of the very fact that he's speaking that to us. Also, there are no problems too big for God. Could I have an amen? You say, I don't know, Brother Bob, if you knew my problem. I don't know your problem, but God does. And the truth of this is, so many times the Israelites, the problems that they had in their life was a direct relationship between their disobedience to God. Now, not all problems come through disobedience, but I think we'd be amiss not to remind ourselves the importance of obedience in our life. Now, there are many problems that come from the outside. We have no influence over them happening to us. There are problems that come to us from the inside, and it's because I'm human. 
And I got to deal with all these kinds of things, emotional, physical, and etc. But God says to us, there are no problems too big for God. These people had been demoralized. They'd been put down at the boot of an oppressor. And yet God was saying to them, I'm not finished. I don't know where you come from in the depth of your sin. You may see yourself as one that just sinned, sort of. Or you may see yourself as the chief of sinners. But when the Holy Spirit convicts you that you are a sinner, God begins to prepare you for his work. His work that will flow through you to do, make a difference in the world in which we live. So I want to remind you always that God is simply saying to us, Trust me. Trust me. Follow me. Be in obedience to me. Sometimes we spend so much energy and effort trying to figure out our way that we miss God's way. God has said, I can do that which is impossible. So I would encourage you to keep on going. Understand that God's at work in you. God will accomplish his will in you as you submit unto his lordship in his life. What can one person do, though? Really, one among seven billion. I remember reading a story. I think it came through our national, um, our home mission board magazine that we get, <clears throat> North American Mission Board. And in this, it was talking about the significance of one, or it may have been in the book that's entitled The Significance of One from Oklahoma City. But anyway, it was a story about a Christian lady that God had put it upon her heart that she had never been burdened or had done anything about poor people. Poor people that were really poor. She saw a series concerning India's poverty, and she decided that she would go there and work among the poor and see if she could make a difference. And her friend said, you're crazy. You know, you need to stay home with your family. Her husband had died. So she went. She spent a, a year there, a decade there, two decades there, three decades there. She invested her life among the poor people of India. Could she make a difference? Yes, she made a difference. The story went on to say that the very children she began to help early on had come into adulthood, and many of these now had prospered in such a way that several of them had established foundations to minister to the poor. Others had established ministries to go back into their own areas to minister to the poor. You see, that one lady had made a significant difference, and it was because it was by the Lord's Spirit. And not by her capabilities. The Lord had directed her steps in all of that. Look at verse 10 when he says, Who despises the day of small things? Small things. God keeps on saying to us, Look, if you're the one that has to have the granular thing that comes into your life, you may be missing God. Because God may be saying it's the small thing. Maybe it's kneeling down and touching the life of a child. Maybe it's encouraging someone. Maybe it's uh, going across the street to that senior adult that's homebound. Whatever it is, God says, do the small things. The small things, don't despise those because why? Because they're not insignificant. So be about taking care of what God says to do, no matter what the size of those projects are. When he says that he'll put this Capstone on, top stone. In the Hebrew, it was that which is a stone. And it sort of has the idea of that there was one, a stone that would separate. Jesus is the stone that separates the believers from the non-believers. Jesus is that stone that is able to bring true uh, value to life itself. Jesus is that very one. 
Third thing I'd say to you is that God is for us. Say, if God be for you, who can be against you? Well, there's a lot of people that's against us, folks. If you're for God, I want to, you've got an enemy. You know what we're seeing more and more today for these, spirit, for these young people that we're trying to minister to? We better be sure they understand spiritual warfare and spiritual armament. Because they are already in the battle, as you and I are, and they have to understand those precepts and principles. We must understand the value of the Word of God as our sword and etc. So it's very, very important to remember these things. It's the day of small things. It says, be about God's business, even if it's the small things. The insignificant in your mind, but yet it's significant to the Lord Himself. He said, who are these two olive trees? Well, it's the high priest, Joshua. It's Zerubbabel, the civil leader. He says, as we combine these two things, we're going to create the community of hope. You know, I would love to see our cities, our nation, our state become more and more driven by biblical precepts and principles so that we understand that God is not finished with us as a nation yet. In obedience, we follow after him. Through the high priest, the Israelites would gain forgiveness. And through the prince... The civil leader, they would find their new temple built. They worked together. The Jews looked for the two messiahs. The high priest that would come, forgive sin. The prince that would come and reestablish their society. God said, I join them together in one messiah and his name is Jesus. God is sufficient. With God, the impossible becomes the possible. Think about it. With the breath of God, we see everything created about us. With the breath of God, we see the Red Sea parting. With the very breath of God, we see those dry bones in Ezekiel coming back to life. God is a God of power. The church must understand we must operate in the sufficiency of God, not ourselves. So I have a challenge for you today. It's a challenge that simply reminds us when we're in service to God, nothing's too great. Nothing's too difficult. God provides through us that we might see great and mighty things done. It's not by his power nor by his strength, but it is truly, it's not by uh, power nor through our ability, but it's through his spirit and his strength that we do this. Our challenge is this. As we work together as a finance and budget committee, we want to challenge you to do something we've not asked you to do in many, many years. Okay, guys, if you'll go through the next series, our worship center that all of us have enjoyed since 1991 can be debt-free if we raise $192,000. That money would completely eradicate the debt. Just keep those going, guys. One of the things that I look back and remember is how much we have truly, truly been blessed by having this kind of worship center. How many of you here when we had eight years on the gym floor as our worship center? A few of you. Eight years we worshiped on the gym floor. In 1990 and finished in 91, we entered into this worship center. It was a time that we rejoiced, we celebrated. There were lots of things that God was doing. It was a miracle of God that we were able. Many things that have impacted all of us have gone on in this building from our worship experiences, whether it be the living Christmas tree or Easter or whatever it might be. It is always that which has been there, the preaching of the word. There are many, many things that happen. The weddings, the funerals, many things there were about another 15 slides we'd put on this, and I had a real neat graphic that I had for you. I'll have to give it to you verbally, and we'll give it to you because um, I guess either through my inability to understand what the computer says or the demon that is in my computer, it ate the last half. 
So I can't give you the graphic I want you to see, but I just want you to be mindful of the fact how blessed we've been, all of us coming to this building. It's been a blessing to many, but many have never been challenged like we were in the very beginning when we raised hundreds of thousands of dollars for this worship center to be able to move into it. If we pay off this debt in six weeks and have a glorious celebration Sunday on April the 10th, what will it do for us? It will free up $107,000 for us this coming year that we can put back in the kingdom work. It'll free up that rest of that 92000 or whatever is, 80 some thousand dollars that we would have for 2012. So we're asking you not to give equal gifts, but to equally sacrifice. And during these next six weeks that you pray about what you could do, what you can do during this particular time. And one of the things that God would say to us is that if we will pray and prepare, we can participate. You say, Brother Bob, how can we do that, a congregation like ours? Let me just give you an illustration. And this is what you can't see that Satan ate (laughs) or my inability did. Think about it this way. 288 giving families. We have about 600 giving families in our church. From, we'll vary from 490 to 615 in given years. If one family, according equal sacrifice, not equal gifts, one family gave 20,000, two families 10,000, four families 5,000, eight families 3,000, 34 families 1,000, 30 families 750, 60 families 500, 50 families $250, 100 families gave $100. Just 288 giving out of the whole scope of things that we have near 500 families, if we just did that, we would have $193,000, amen? That God can do. You say, brother, I can't do that. I'm not asking you to do anything on your own. In the pew, you'll find an envelope that says debt reduction. It will come in your offering envelope pack that comes to your home also. We're asking you to do what? To pray, first of all, to prepare. What does that mean? To let your heart be truly open to what God can do, not what you can do. And to participate, our goal is we'll have a celebration Sunday on April the 10th. Next week, we'll give you the examples of what could be print so that you can see it. But I want to just to pray, folks. Listen, it puts us debt free. The vision that God's put before us is going to require other things. Land, probably buildings, mission, activities, whatever. We don't know all that. What we do know Debt-free puts us in a position that we can move forward boldly as God leads us. So I'm challenging you right now to begin praying and let God work. He built a temple in this day because it was God's will. God birthed this church. God has guided us through the years. It's very, very important for us to be able to continue to follow after Christ. So I challenge you right now to begin to pray. I believe, Finance Committee, Budget Committee, as we work through this, what that would do, it would literally... Free up $107,000 next year that we can invest in kingdom ministry. Will you join the challenge? Will you be the person like these Israelites that said, you know, it seems impossible, but with God it's possible. Let's pray.